right? So this morning I want to start with this idea. I, I do want you to imagine. I want you to imagine a woman. She's a traveler. Um, sometime between the second century and maybe the 17th century. And she's making her way on a journey. She's looking, she's searching. What would you do if this was you as a traveler during this time? This woman most likely was like the woman from John chapter 4. She's Middle Eastern and she's searching. You would start your journey uh, along a Roman road. You'd venture from town to town. And as you made your way to the town or to the village, the first place that this woman would look for a warm meal, for a bed, for a taste of home, would have been the church. Now that church could be a cathedral, it could be a monastery, it could be a series of homes. The monastery would, uh, would act as this present day, like a hostel, if you've traveled and you've stayed at a hostel taking in pilgrims and sojourners, and they fed them. They gave them a bed, a a pallet. They provided sanctuary. We're familiar with that term. Sanctuary is like the place of worship, the, the, the place where someone would be welcomed. The traveler knew that here, that's what they would experience, Even if they were a stranger, they would be welcomed in. The church was a the first of the Holiday Inns and the Howard Johnsons and the Hiltons. It was ingrained in society and culture that Christians were good hosts. So that's where you would look. That's where this woman would look. We know this because our histories talk about it. Manuals have been written about how uh, the church was to take in strangers. The rule of St. Benedict is one. There's explicit directions for how you would receive someone who was traveling, who was a stranger. Why did this happen? Because the church was driven and convicted about who their God was and who they were in response to this God. They had a mission. They had received from God. They embodied that mission themselves in their story, in their life, in their very physical body, and they bore it in the world. And what was known in the world at that time is that the Christian church was a place for warm welcome, shared tables, comfortable beds. Now think about this, because this is what I want you to imagine is a people who are looking for us, scanning the horizon for us. It's an incredible part of the story of the church. It's a history of which we should be proud. We should share in its joy. But it's also a grief. Because the strangers and the neighbors who wander through our world currently searching for home, searching for a place amidst the toils and the snares of the world, 
are no longer looking for us. They're no longer scanning the horizon for the Christian church. As Greg Thompson says, the light they seek comes not from our lamps. The greetings that they crave come not from our mouths. And the food that they praise is not set on our tables. The beds that hold their bodies are not in our homes. They're, they're, they're not looking for us. And what's equally true, and maybe more painfully true, is we're not looking for them either. Our, our lanterns are out. Our gates are closed. Our tables are bare and our beds are empty. And I want you to hold that, the heaviness of that, the weight of that, and the reality of it, as we think about this woman, the woman at the well, and her story of her interaction with Jesus. This is the last one in this short series on faithful presence. And then also her, her response to receive her call from the Messiah Jesus to embody that call into her world and then to bear it and then to bear it in her world. So I'm going to read from John chapter 4 starting in verse 27. Just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you my disciples, to, to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Now, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him. And he stayed for, there for two days. And many more believed of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we pray that even now, like Richard reminds, reminded us, uh, that we would, we would be receivers, that we would receive from you and from your word. And we pray that in our reception of this word that you give to us, that we would become a foretaste, 
both of the word itself, but also of what the word points to. And that we would then take it and bear it in our worlds. Whatever those worlds are, and wherever those worlds take us. Bless us first this morning to be receivers. Remind us we don't have to do anything. That you are a giver. You are a God who seeks, pursues, offers life to us. We just have to receive. So open our, our bodies, our minds, our hearts, our wills this morning to you and to your word, we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask this in, in his name. Amen. First, notice that this woman does receive from Jesus, right? She, she doesn't originate this thing. Like she brings her sin-marred life to God by faith. She opens herself up to the restorative power of the gospel. That's her story that day at noon at the well where she meets with Jesus and Jesus tells her everything and directs her heart to how to worship God through him. So much so that the woman is, her eyes are opened to see that Jesus is the Messiah. She receives this Jesus and then she takes it. She takes it as a foretaste. She herself is changed. Come see this man, we're told. He, he told me everything about myself. This woman becomes an, an, an embodied anticipation of God's redemptive intentions in the world. Remember, that's, John is unmasking this. He's showing the Christ as the, the one who tabernacles amongst us. The, the God who became human, who incarnated flesh and incarnated God in flesh and blood. This woman receives this Jesus and then embodies the anticipation of what God's going to do with her and the world. She's restored to God through Jesus. She's, in some sense, being restored to herself. And she's being restored to her community. We are each and together collectively like I like to say, Minchie's cups of God's redemption and intentions for the world. You ever been to Minchie's? You know what I'm talking about? I don't know. They do that post-COVID? I haven't been to Minchie's much. We went once to Minchie's since COVID. And my son Judson got a $16 cup of yogurt. <laughs> and so we're all sitting around the table, and he gets about halfway through, and he says, I'm full. And I says, no, you're not. And I made him, and he, he, he's like, he's, really, he's still a little bitter about this, but I made him like, you're finishing this, bro, this $16 cup. Now, if you, you, if you go to Minchie's, they have these little cups that you taste all the different yogurts, and it becomes a, a foretaste of what is to come in $16 cups, right? You're the hors d'oeuvre of the coming banquet church. That's what you are. And this woman is that for her community. She is a foretaste. Notice how the, the passage kind of plays this out for us, right? Like the people hear her story, the way she's embodying this message in her own story, 
They hear it and they are moved. Some of them believe just by based on her witness and her testimony. And then others, maybe not so moved, are led to the Christ of whom she's foretelling. And they then hear from Christ themselves and they say, well, it's not just, we, we aren't just believing this now from what you said, but from what we've seen and heard with our own eyes and ears about Jesus. This woman embodies the gospel, and then she bears it. She, she carries it. She extends the kingdom of Jesus in her remade story. She, sa- she says, come and see this one who knows my story and everything about it. Come and see the one who, based on that, I think is the Messiah. Come, come and see. She, she bears her, the good news into her world. Now, what do we do if this woman at the well is not seeking us? What do we do if we aren't seeking her? Because this is yours and mine, it's our missionary calling in the world. We, we, as God's people, are called to receive what happens week in, week out on Sundays, what happens sometimes in individual relationships during the week. We receive the gospel to be a foretaste of it and to bear it in the world. This is our missionary calling. This is, for us, like how we're working it out in this series, this is what it means to be faithfully present the, the woman received, embodied, and bore the message by being, by pursuing, identifying, offering life. And we, what Chris talked about last week, the, the sacrifice of her love, going back into her village, the village that knows her, the village that knows her story, and telling that village, oh, I met a man. Oh, you met a man. Right? She is sacrificially taking what has happened to her in Jesus and and bearing it in her world. She's putting flesh on what she's experienced in Jesus. And this is our calling, City Prez, as well. We, and I want to give you three kind of, or two main ideas here about this. The ways that you receive, embody, and bear the gospel in the world, is we're present to God here in worship, right? Like, how do we try to do this? How do we try to live this out? We're present before God in worship. We are a worshiping community. We, We receive the preaching of the word. We receive the sacraments. We receive and practice adoration and praise and lament. We, we pray together. I mean, the prayer that Richard prayed and that Emily wrote and comp- or compiled is beautiful about what is, what is this season of going back to school and what does education mean? We are learning and discipling as we pray these things out together, right? We, we confess and repent We go home and through individual devotion, however that looks for you, how it looks for me, 
is I spend time just like in silence before God every morning, giving, turning things over to the Lord. My practice of prayer is just turning things over. When you, you give a prayer request to me or when I ask you for something to pray for, I just spend time giving that back to God for myself on your behalf. When anxieties grip my heart and fears, I want to give that back to the Lord. I don't want to hold on to that. This is a way of being present to God. And then we're faithfully present to each other as a, as a community of faith. We're present as a worship to God in our worshiping community, and then we're, we're present to each other. We're present to each other in this space, in city groups, men's and women's groups, our children and our children's ministry, you as adults are present to them in that way, youth ministry. Charlie is present on the campus as an RUF minister. That we're present present with each other as the people of God. We we do this to with each other. We 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 receive and then we embody and then we bear the gospel with one another. The woman at the well begins here. Her her calling's evangelical, but she begins in her own community. That's where she goes back to, to her village. Your story is a place where you pursue and you identify and you offer life through sacrificial love. And this is important for us, friends, because I've seen it work out here in so many different ways. As you all are present to each other in these ways, as you receive from God the gospel and as you bear it with one another and embody it, other people are then like shown up, shorn up into like bearing it themselves, to, to telling it, to taking it. Your story becomes the encouragement by which they then know redemption and carry it into the world. So it's super important for us to be faithfully present to one another. For for a lot of you right now in this season of your life, that feels difficult. Because you go to each other's houses and you know what it feels like, the chaos of your life, right? And what I want want you to know is like, like, be gentle with yourself. In this period, in this time, be gentle. Take presence as it is. The, you, you, the, the, the evangelical church likes to think everything's like college ministry where, man, you, you go off and you're one-to-one with somebody and it's like super intensity all the time. And, and a lot of RUF people come off campus and come to the church and they're like, bro, it's not like that. It's kind of chaotic. And so what I'm, what I'm really wanting you to understand is that as you embody this, as you become a foretaste of the kingdom, it is all of you. The brokenness of your story, the ways that you feel split in presence, 
That's all of it. Offer that to the Lord and to your community in your real vulnerable self. Because there's power in that. God takes that and utilizes it. Don't think you have to like ship the kids off to have any kind of meaningful connection with the people around you. Or if you don't have kids, that you can't be in that community as someone who doesn't share in what they share. The church is to be multifaceted and multi-generational. We're to, to embody and bear the gospel together. This woman carries back her story to her community and shares it. And then that bleeds outside. Being faithfully present in the spheres of social influence, our, our families, our neighborhoods, our, our voluntary activities, the, the things that we love, the places of work. There's an, the importance of of presence here in a particular place. This woman goes back to a particular place and there she embodies and bears the gospel. To the people there, to the task there, within her sphere of influence there. When Jesus calls you and I as followers to go into the world, we've often interpreted this geographically, but but there's also this idea of, of entering into all the social structures of our world, right? Volunteer and paid labor, skilled and unskilled labor, crafts, engineering, commerce, art, law, architecture, teaching, healthcare, service industries. We have people in all those fields here. To go into those realms and to embody the story of the gospel in your person and in your story and bear it in those places. That's what it looks like to be a pursuing, offering life, sacrificial love kind of church. Now, I want to I end with just a challenge to this for us. Because I think we, we have big dreams and idyllic goals to change the world. But, but what I want you to understand it is that in the response of being loved by God and the expression of a desire to reflect the creator, the one who makes all things good, true, and beautiful, that there's this great challenge for us. The disciples in this woman, right? The, there's in, the insiders and the outsiders, Jesus takes an aside with the disciples to teach something to them here on sowing and reaping. Did you notice that? The disciples went away to get food and are urging him to eat. And Jesus says, hey guys, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. What he's saying to the disciples, hear this, my mission isn't to have my my wants and desires met by you. There's something that's more pressing here. Remember, the whole scene is, he comes to this well because the disciples have left him to go find him something to eat. He is tired and fatigued, and he's intentionally taking a detour to meet with this woman. 
his stomach, in other words, isn't guiding what he is going to do. Now hear this. There's something more pressing for Jesus. In the midst of our world, our identity as Christians, as the church, seems to be embattled as this, we think of ourselves, when we think of ourselves, what's animating us? What, what are we thinking about? We are this minority people group fighting the dark forces of an oppressive secularism or whatever term you want to use to describe that. And, and, and we think that the secularism is lurking in every like public school and cultural artifact, movies and books and the arts. And, and so then we, we become these prax, practitioners of what Matthew Anderson says uh, are grievance politics. In other words, we're outraged. Like the big, the big challenge for us is that we want our desires our hungers, the things that are animating us to be met. And, and Jesus is stopping and telling the disciples, like, like I, have, I have something that's greater and more important than my, my fleshly desires here. Every response to contemporary events happen against this backdrop for us. This is what I want you to hear. Because I want you to hear it as, like, this is hard for you and I. Because the backdrop for us is that we're this, the thing that's animating the church is that that's who we are. And whether we like it or not, or we're responsible for it or not, that's the messaging that's kind of like in the backdrop of what it means to be the church in the world. We are surrounded by this atmosphere of fear and thick anxiety. And, and it's producing in the church a type of resentment for what's happening out there. And I want you to hang on this for a second. When you, when you think about this moment in this world that you inhabit, what are the fears and anxieties that are animating you? You know, that whole idea of animation, right? It's, you take a stick figure and then you draw another stick figure and another one and you change the movement subtly and then you give it movement, that's you and I. And what are the things that are, that are animating you as you exist outside these four walls or outside your home in the world? What's making you alive? Making you impassioned? What's the desires that are driving you? When, when you think about this moment, the, the cultural artifacts of this moment, uh, the places that you work, where, where do you go when you hear about a, yet, a, yet another thing that seems to be colliding with your faith out there? And then what do you do to relieve that pressure that that anxiety brings in your life? I think we start with an honest assessment. This is the backdrop. We are all living in this place as Westerners. And I want to emphasize that, as Westerners. It's our particular struggle. Because what, what, takes, what causes us to take the posture of either 
fortification against the culture, accommodation to the culture, or domination of the culture, whatever causes us to do that, that's the thing that's animating us, the the fears and anxieties that we are dreading out there, that's animating us to take those positions. And that is the antithesis of what we're to be as the church, to be a faithful presence of the love of God in these absences means we receive, we embody, and we bear. We go out there, and we don't set up and try to dominate, to win. We exist in this tension between accommodation and antithesis, right? And it's a tension. You should feel the tension. I feel the tension every day. Every time I get on social media or watch something on TV or have conversations with people in the world, like there is a tension that we exist in. Give yourself a break for the tension. That's the backdrop. But what is animating you? We are to be animated by the incarnation. That creation is good. That sin is real and pervasive, but the gospel is comprehensive in scope. This woman, the gospel, right, restores this woman to God. It restores this woman to herself. It restores this woman to her community. And it restores her ultimately, even though we're not given a picture of that here necessarily, to creation itself. That's the scope of the gospel. And and the glories of redemption are exhausted just there, y'all. Because one day, all those intentions take this shape of consummation. Like if creation could be understood as a a trajectory of God's intentions, the fall is the deformation of God's intentions, and redemption is the process of renewing God's intentions, the scriptural vision of consummation is the realization of, of God's intentions. A day will come, Scripture promises us, when Jesus will bring the long-awaited reconciliation of all things. And don't miss that that's what's happening in this passage. When, When this woman points to Messiah, that's what she's longing for. And every person that you know, including yourself, when you feel all this fear and anxiety in our your world, You're longing for the same things. And that's the touch point. In your real humanness, you touch other people's real humanness. And that's how you embody and bear the gospel in your worlds. So, what's important for us in this kind of wrestling out is that when our fears and anxieties and resentments are animating us, the expansive scope and the hope of that scope of the gospel gets really, really small. And and that means we must root out and expunge our fears and our resentments. This woman, I want you to think about her. Chris talked about her last week. She, She risked coming back to her people. But the redemption she is experiencing in Jesus pushes her out into this space. The man who knows everything about me, 
The the hope of Messiah. Come and see him. Messiah means restoration and, and, and shalom for God's people. And we're told in the text that this woman returns to her place. She pursues, identifies, offers life. And many Samaritans believe. Because they're introduced to the Jesus who abides and is faithfully present with them. Jesus stays two more days, we're told. And many believe because of this woman's testimony. And many more believe because they heard for themselves and that they now know that Jesus is the Savior of the world. This is the essence of what our calling is as the church. Your story leads to others having their story meet with Jesus' story as the Savior of the world. This is what's to be our animating hope. Not our fear, not our resentments, not our anxieties, but our hope. And this hope must permeate our response to the backdrop of the culture war world that we live in. He is our Savior. He's the Savior of the world. He's placed us in this world to be a Menchie's cup of the hope that the gospel brings. And so Jesus here says to his disciples, right? You say the harvest is coming. Now maybe referring here to this time of consummation when Israel is restored. And he says, no, no, look. 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 The harvest is now. The field is white. Look. This woman who you are like having like, lots of cognitive dissonance about me talking to you? She's already out there. She's already sharing. She's already sowing and reaping. The fields are are white with harvest, disciples. One sows, one reaps. Who is it to you? It's from the Lord. I sent you to reap. I'm sending you now to reap what you, for what you do not labor. I think Jesus' meaning here is twofold. One is the food that they've brought to Jesus, right? They gathered this food for which they did not labor. But also, he's pointing to what they're going to do. These same disciples are receiving the same mission that we have received to receive the gospel, embody and bear it in the world. They, they are to be and will be Minchie's cups of the kingdom of God. Their mission of sowing and reaping is to be lived out just like the woman who is before them. What does it look like for us, City Press? Right now, here in this moment in our city, like, faithful presence idea is to animate you personally in your own homes and families. It's to animate you like with your neighbors and your friends and your family members who don't know Jesus, certainly. But it's also to animate you in your your occupations. In other words, what I'm trying to, to sell to you, I guess, is that your vocation is this. To receive, to embody, to be that foretaste of the kingdom, and to then take it and bear that calling Whatever your world is. And so whether you're working at the lab 
or whether you're driving for DoorDash or you're a doctor or a lawyer or a day laborer, a blue-collar worker, whatever it might be, you're called into this world that you've been given, this one world here in Albuquerque, not the next world, not where you're moving on the next assignment, even if you're just here for a year or six months, because I know some of you, that is you. It's now to then be this person who receives gathering Sunday morning, being with people, being alone with the Lord, turning things over to him, and then taking that which you've received and being a, a messed up Minchie's cup. Like there's no perfection here, y'all. Your vulnerable self being changed by the gospel to others who might be changed by the gospel and bearing it, carrying the message through your body and your story into the world. May it be so for us. May it be so for us. Wherever your feet step, may it be so for us. Because the woman who isn't looking for us needs us. We've been entrusted with the mission from God. I want to be careful here, Calvinists in the room. Needs us. How will they hear if there is no preacher? Needs us to embody and bear it in our worlds. If she's not looking for us, we damn sure better be looking for her. Let's pray. I pray just, God, that you would help us to see the, uh, the opportunity to be animated by you and your kingdom. That it, it, it's, it's, it's a good thing for us to receive the bread of life and the living water from you. And it is good for us then to be a people poor as we are, wicked as we are, to offer what we've received to another, to embody it in our worlds, to join arm in arm with one another, in fact, to bear it together. that we're not some radical individual alone in this mission, that we are the church. There's no churchless mission and there's no missionless church. And so you're inviting us into this space to be a faithful presence of love, of the love of Jesus, wherever we trod, together. Together. So help us, God, to do that, we pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.